Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, I am George Belshaw from Metro.co.uk, and you are listening to the Love Tennis Par podcast. Almost said that wrong, very smoothly. Um, I, I would say this has been a momentous day for me today. Hello, Calvin. How's it going? Um, very well, thank you. I was I was just saying this has been a pretty momentous day for me today, Calvin. Um, I think this is my most ever abused today on social media. And that is wow. saying something. That well, you, is saying you, something. You must have said something personally that was terrible, George. You must I... have <laughs> Oh here's James. James, I was I was just saying this is uh, a, a momentous day, probably the day I've been most ever abused on social media. No, I don't know, George. That's a high bar. That's a that, very high I, bar. I, I think we passed it today. I think we set Olympic records. It was unbelievable. Um, I... Calvin was just asking me what I'd done to uh, attract the hornet's nest. And the I, committed, I committed the heinous crime of tweeting a quote from someone. <laughs> I, I, we'll get into it because it's very funny. Uh, and I like it when George gets lots of abuse online. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I think that online abuse is a really bad thing unless it's playing with George. Um, but speaking of abuse aimed at George, you appeared on our pre-match Zoom call with um, a rather nasty gash on the side of your head, George. You fell off your bike. I did. It, funnily enough, or fortunately enough, I'd, I'd been on the BBC twice that morning. Once, hilariously, from wow. Melbourne. Wow, no, no, no. 35 seconds for George to get that? <laughs> Once from Melbourne and two hours later from London. Uh, so if we're looking at fake news, <laughs> aim it at the BBC, not me. But um, the yes, immediately after that, I thought, oh, I'll go out for a quick cycle in the rain. And I'm normally very strict. I take my helmet out all the time, even when I'm being a bit pathetic and don't really need it. Um, Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you there. You always need your helmet and you're about to demonstrate why. Yeah. And I it, had gone for a few laps around the park with my housemate, all going well. I come to a 
a pavement and you know you have like a little groove in the pavement that bikes can kind of ride up to rejoin the pavement or like push oh like a, it's called it's called a drop curb a drop curb that's the one i i always like call it a groove i can never remember the actual phrase. drop curb there we go because you're from the midlands yeah um so i i ride through this puddle that is covering this drop curb that i know is there because i cycle around this all the time clearly just missed the drop curb and hit the actual curb uh, <laughs> flew yeah. over the handlebars luckily with my great boxing uh, technique i kind of got my shoulder up in the way so <laughs> that was shoulder, you shoulder rolled the ground <laughs> shoulder roll <laughs> yeah. so i kind of skidded across the top but my shoulder took the most of the pain um but yeah i still look pretty good and i'm getting away with it just about okay well you know, <laughs> two, li- two, two lies and a truth there yeah, um, I can't think why people abuse me online. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, maybe, maybe George has made this up in an effort to garner some sympathy from the, the hordes <laughs> of angry Novak Djokovic fans, but um, I'm not sure about that. Uh, let's move on, because for once we've got loads of tennis to talk about, and I thought we'd start um, on the back of uh, our successful, I suppose, uh, fantasy tennis prediction game, which I think 180 of you um, are taking part in. I need to check that exact number. I should bring you up now. I tweeted 188. 188, yeah. It would have been nice to get 200, but given that Georgia and I were expecting between 20 and 30 people to play, uh, really excited (laughs) to have so many. It's just for fun. Uh, I'm afraid it is now closed. But I can tell you that Tezza541 is the current leader. Now, I know it's kind of, you know, it's like in cricket. They say you um, you shouldn't judge a pitch until both sides have batted. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we've obviously only had um, two sides of the draw, you know, one half of the women's draw and one half of the men's draw. Uh, but nevertheless, he's on 11.5 points. Uh, he's picked up points from Nick Kyrgios, Bernard Tomic, uh, Daria Kasatkina, and Sarah Irani, uh, who's been a relatively popular pick out of qualifying. You're shaking your head at Sarah Irani, George. I- I'm shaking my head at the four. I mean, like, I-, I like them all as picks in terms of they're quite fun, but you, you wouldn't put money on them normally would you i mean that is a four that could easily implode and go out first round normally yeah i mean sarah rani i'm trying to remember who she played now um she played someone half decent did she not knock out a seed she knock out one of the chinese the two chinese girls of like 29 and 30 seed i'm pretty sure she beat one of them but she's she also came in as a qualifier and i mean i know she's had her ups and downs but she she's probably a player you would regard as a little bit better than a qualifier wouldn't you yeah, I mean, I, I picked Peronkova for the same reason, and that ended really badly. You know. She... Yeah, and you were you were not the only one, George. <laughs> that was an extremely popular pick. Um, Svetana Peronkova garnered seventy selections, seventy selections that have garnered zero points. Which, as someone who didn't pick her, and as someone whose uh, qualifier did win today, Anna Karolina Schmidlova. <laughs> And I love Schmiedlover, don't I? I've been yeah. digging her up for a long time. And that's yeah. something this pod has shown time and time again. Back who you big up all the time or face the yeah, consequences. Yeah, back who you big up. Yeah, remember that, guys. Calvin, back who you big up. I'm assuming <laughs> you picked Anastasia Potapova, who picked up an excellent <laughs> today. I, I didn't know. No. Did you also have Pirankova? Are you one of the Pirankova? Oh, no, no I didn't have Um... Yeah, I had Burrell as the qualifier, and well, actually... she's—I mean, she's playing tomorrow. She's got a half decent draw. Um, I think she's got a chance. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was just interesting, like the players who did come out as really popular. Um, if you're not part of it, the format is basically you pick a top four seed, one of the other seeds, an unseeded player, and then a qualifier. 
and I thought it was really interesting, you know, players who, I mean, obviously lots of people picked Serena Williams, um, lots of people picked Garbina Muguruza, who to be fair does look in great form, but, you know, some players who came out of it really popular, like Daniel Collins, uh, garnered loads of picks. Uh, similarly, Shelby Rogers was very popular. Uh, just players who, you know, Coco Goff, lots of people picked, but I kind of understand that. But I don't know, it's been quite a fun experience uh, for me just to kind of see who people really hype and really back. I'm delighted to see that my championing of Carlos Alcaraz for the last eight months has, <laughs> has really paid off. Um, because just about half the field have picked him. Uh, he's not got, by the way, the easiest qualifying match in the world. He probably will have played it by the time you hear this. But he's playing Botic van der Zandschuk, who is a Dutch lad who just keeps winning, basically, which I think every commentator in the world is quite disappointed about because his name is not easy to say. Um, but yeah, so uh, hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, I have tweeted a couple of times the link to the spreadsheet so you can see the league table that I um, spent about six hours on Saturday building because I don't understand how you look up works in Excel. I mean, I do now, but I certainly didn't before. Uh, yeah, it should be good fun. We'll have a bit of a better idea about how the league table looks after the second day because everyone will have played. Uh, and, and so George and Calvin can drag themselves out of the, well, into the top 100, maybe. That that would be nice. Uh, I think I'm sitting quite pretty, I, by the way. I seem to remember doing all right. Uh, I was going to say, I, I've actually... Because... I was going to say, I've jumped up about 15 places. I saw you recalibrated the league table and put me equal 123rd rather than, you know, 138th. That was quite nice. That was a welcome yeah, I worked, boost. I worked, out, I, I worked out how to use a new function. It was quite exciting. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm in 65th at the moment, um, which I think means I'm ahead of the great Kevin Mitchell and Jonathan <laughs> Jureko, who both of whom I really, really would like to beat. Uh, but yeah, 10th. <laughs> Tezza 5-4-1 is leading with 11.5 points. Colm Cotter is second. And then it's Madge Chiaro uh, in third. So well done so far. Good luck. I would suggest that um, Madge Chiaro has got a bit of a shout because he's still got Nadal, Tsitsipas, Swiatek and Hallett. Oh, Hallett played, of course. Um, I was going to say... Swiatek played as well, didn't she? Oh, did she play today? Oh, OK. That's yeah. <clears throat> I was going to say... Um... There's a few little journalists in there as well. We've got uh, Quentin Moyer from Le Keep as well, uh, kicking yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Whose um, translation of Gail Monfils' French conference today, I was very, very grateful for. Very good. Uh, which is kind of a nice segue. We were going to segue into something else, but we've ended up on Gail Monfils because I did want to talk about him a bit. Um, the number 10 seed, I mean, crashed out. I, I don't know if that's the right word. I think, George, you said in the WhatsApp group, oh, if I'd looked at quite how bad his form was, I might have seen this coming. Um, I mean, he hasn't won a match since February last year, which I know, you know, it doesn't, it's not actually as long as we think because exactly of what's happened. But he has lost a lot of matches uh, and he was beaten by uh, Finland's Emil Roos. I mean, there's, there's four U's in this. It's a hard name. Roosavuri, I'm going for. I, I think uh, that's a fair attempt. Yeah. Now, I, I, so, I, go on, sorry, James. I, I'm no, just going to say I do know Roosavuri. Oh, tell, tell, tell us something about him. We'll, we'll go um, back to the there in a moment. A player I coached um, who was a very good junior, he won junior national championships, um, he played Emil Roussevuri not long after that. And the the player, the lad I coached played a fair few players who are now, I think he played three players who are now in the top 100 uh, and did very well against the other two. But Roussevuri was the only one who completely destroyed him. 
Um, yeah. And so he, I sort of he was very impressive when I saw him. Big, he's big. I think he's lefty, um, and just completely overwhelmed. Um, he's not. The but, yeah. Is he not right? Okay, I've made, <laughs> no, made that no, up then. <laughs> I mean, he's got. He's you know, there's not much about him really. I mean, you don't get many players coming out of Finland full stop. Um, yeah. Henry Laxonen, I can think of off the top of my head. He plays a lot of doubles to high level. Jarko um, Niemannen. Yeah, Jarko Niemannen, there's a blast from the past. Uh, very good. But yeah, he'll go up to a, just by getting into the second round, he's going to go up to a career high 80 in the world, I think. Um, so good for him. He's also been, and actually, Calvin, I was going to ask you this. He's been Monfils' hitting partner for two weeks in, in wow. lockdown. Is kind of hilarious coincidence, but that do you see that? I mean, if if you were a young player or with a young player, and you spend two weeks hitting with someone who is ostensibly better than you, I mean, maybe Gail Monfils was hitting it like an absolute drain, and he's walked in and gone, "Wow, I I can actually batter this bloke." Yeah, um, it's a, it's always a strange one. I mean, I don't know whether they would still have been hitting partners after the draw was made. That's always the strange one. If uh, yeah. if when you've arranged practice with somebody. And then the draw comes out and you're playing them. It's then this really awkward sort of who makes the call, who sort of says <laughs> first, well, shall we practice with someone else or do you just go ahead with what, it? What is, the, what is the general out? Is it generally you don't or generally you do or is it? I'd 50? say 60 to 70 percent of the time you'll probably arrange to practice with someone else. Yeah. Um, unless you're particularly good friends with the person, then. It won't make the world a difference. And then generally in finals as well at these tournaments, especially if it's a one-off tournament, the two players who are in the final will normally warm each other up uh, before the <laughs> final. No one else left. Yeah, it's sort of very strange at times in that you'll, they'll often do it just before the match and then go on to the match and then warm up as well. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you, you generally try and find someone else. Um, and and most, a lot of the time as well, people will, will wait to see that if the draw's being made before they arrange the practice. Yeah. But in this, slams it's a bit different though, because I think the draw's made sort of three, four days before. Yeah, um, it's on Thursday, yeah. yeah. Um, but but equally, you know, they, they you had to nominate a hitting partner, one hitting partner for the first week in quarantine, so you're kind of limited yeah. in that. Um, George Monfils, as I say, he hasn't won a match since February 2020. Um, he's brought on the great Gunther Bredsvik uh, and promptly, I mean, had a really poor result in the first round of a slam and then I mean, he, he broke down into tears, basically, in his press conference, didn't he? Yeah, I thought it was a really um, a difficult moment to watch, actually, as well. I, I think Monfils, actually, when you think about him as a character and a player and what he kind of plays the game for, a lot of, you know, if you look at his form, say, up to February, that was when crowds were there. Um, and he was actually in really good form. And the last match he lost before coronavirus hit was one where he had a lot of match points against Novak Djokovic. Um, mm. And Djokovic extended his winning run there. And that was the sort of moment you're thinking, oh, bloody hell, Djokovic is never going to lose again here because he's somehow <laughs> won this because Monfils yeah. has played lights out. Um, but, you know, you don't leave that match feeling pretty bad for Gael in theory. Um, and I do think he's one of those people that does just thrive on the crowd. And, and sometimes in a bad way in terms of he'll play the wrong shot or be a bit kind of you know, overplay trick shots, that sort of thing, stuff that Calvin hates. Um, <laughs> but, 
you know, as a general energy to get himself even into that sort of mindset, he plays to entertain and he's said that many times before. So I do kind of feel he's had the life sucked out of him. And then on top of that, I know there were fans there today as well, but on top of that, it's then this kind of quarantine situation that, you know, Benoit Pair has also not taken particularly well. I know Monfils wasn't in hard quarantine, um, but, but I do think, you know, you've gone there for, even though you've been allowed to practice five hours a day, you've spent the rest of it just locked in a hotel room come a long way, not feeling particularly great about your game, lost first round, go home again. The whole thing must be quite deflating um, and kind of a bit of a lonely experience as well. And I know tennis players do travel around and spend a lot of time in hotel rooms and lobbies, etc. But I do think this is a particularly hard time for a lot of people generally and having the pressures of elite athletics on top. You know, I think that showed today and how it really came through. Mm. And I think Matt's, I saw Matt Philander in Eurosport saying that, you know, he's obviously, he usually travels with Svitolina when they can, you know, who he's obviously, his girlfriend is Alina Svitolina. And I think they actually quarantine separately, I think I'm right in saying, um, which, you know, is pretty unfortunate, but also probably quite painful if you're used to, oh, when we go to Australia, we get an apartment and, you know, they probably really look forward to actually playing a tournament when the, you know, when the calendars kind of cross over with each other. So, you know, you can imagine that's quite quite damaging as well. And Would have halved their training space in the room, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, limited hitting space between the beds. Um, I mean, Calvin, you've said a few things about Gilmore Feast before and about what an incredible, like, athlete he is. And I know it's almost a cliche to say it about him, but, you know, when, when Gunter hooked up with him, I think it was late last year, he said Gail can win a Grand Slam. Now he's 34. Um, and I think that's ambitious even before this defeat. But, yeah. you know, he, he said today something that I'd, I'd love to get your kind of take on. He said, I, I, it hurts how much I've lost, which is quite a final thing for a player to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that's it, it's definitely a difficult one. That, and every player reaches that point where you know that there's no improving going coming anymore. It's just trying to maintain what you've currently got. And then it becomes that you see it deteriorating as well, and and that's a difficult time in anyone's career, I guess, in anyone's um, in anyone's life really, when when that happens, um, and and if mm. you don't know whether there's lost in translation or anything with that, but if he is suggesting that, it may suggest that there, there's not long left um, for him. Mm. But then he's such a talented player that you never know; he could just come come out and win win a, a two fifty or a five hundred somewhere and. And it all changes around and then you get some fire back. But it's yeah. difficult when you haven't had that winning feeling for a while and he's now saying he doesn't think he's playing very well either. Mm, yeah. And uh, I suppose on the flip side of it, you don't employ Gunter for the last six months of your career. <laughs> like <laughs> That's not going to be a fun goodbye to tennis. Like, that, that is like, right, I'm, re- you know, he is, he's putting it all on the line here. So um, well, maybe, it, maybe, for me... Maybe, uh, Maybe that's where we'll see him in some Ironman contest or something down in... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. Gail Monfils, ultra-marathon runner, uh, quite possibly. Uh, yeah, sad to see, and, and best of luck to Gail. Uh, Emil Rusevori is maybe the name that you have to either remember or learn how to spell, in my case, because I got it Did anyone have him for fantasy? Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Actually, there were two people who had Emil Rusevori, which I mean, it's an unbelievable pick. Um, if you had him, Daniel McGee, 
Uh, oh, actually, no, I beg your pardon. There are five people who picked him. Daniel McGee, uh, CJ Stars, Big Bods One, who's right up there. He's only two and a half points off the lead. So, yeah, valuable uh, pick there. I'm trying to think. I mean, that side of the draw now is hugely open. Um, it was already quite weak, I think. And then, obviously, Monfils is out. And all of a sudden, you think anyone can kind of get on a run and 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 have a go at it. I don't see why Emil can't be that guy. I mean, it, it would be a first, but you've got to do everything for the first time. I mean, he's playing Pedro Martinez in the second round, but yeah, exactly, exactly. very winnable. And then and then who knows? Um, yeah, you mentioned George the, the Benoit Pair stuff. Um, I've seen quite a lot of Benoit Pair this this week and his magnificent sponsored beard. Uh, <laughs> he he said that it was a shitty tournament uh, and he wasn't very happy. He lost to. Um, Belarus's Igor Garasimov in four sets, I think. Yep. I mean, I, from from my perspective, he has been unhappy all week. <laughs> he was playing. Uh, he was playing Fanini, and like was just wandering around the court. Like it was early in the morning. I think it was a ten o'clock start. He lost. Oh, he he lost a service game with four double faults, and he. I've never seen someone including the likes of Kyrgios, want to be on a tennis court less. He had <laughs> zero interest in being there. And I, I, so I'm not remotely surprised. And, you know, he'd go into the corner and, you know, Monfils is there and uh, Monfils's other coach, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, who was the team captain for France. And they're all trying different things. And Benoit Pair was just sat there with zero interest in what they were saying. So I'm not surprised to hear him say that he wasn't enjoying himself. Yeah, I mean... So from pair, the pair thing is quite interesting because he is obviously one of the 72 people shoved into what's been dubbed hard quarantine. Um, mm. other, other players who've gone out today include people like Angelique Kerber, um, Alison Risk, mm. you know, both really bad losses. Um, Risk, Risk won three games against Potipova, didn't she? Yeah. And, uh, and Kerber didn't do much. I think Kerber was bageled in the first set. Um mm something like five love down in 15 minutes, which when you think about Andrew Kerber's game is must be a first really. Um, that's very rare, but yeah, you know, pair was obviously not happy putting out a few expletives. There was, there's one kind of factual error he was making slightly um, in one of his points of criticism about this Adelaide test. So of course he was saying that the people in Adelaide were treated differently because they didn't have to, um, going to hard quarantine and they had a positive test but the test on their flight was due to shedding a viral load rather than kind of a fresh raw test or whatever you call it i, I think i called it a live coronavirus test in my copy to I mean, distinguish but, infectious i guess might be the, the correct term um but they yeah that that that's the difference there but you know he 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 feels he wasn't sold the trip which We've spoke about a little bit last week, you know, a lot of players didn't turn up to a lot of the meetings. I, I think all of us in the same real world knew that if there was going to be a positive test on a flight, it was pretty damn likely there was going to be serious problems for anyone else on that flight, particularly when you're seeing pictures of them not wearing masks and socially distancing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have masses of sympathy compared to, some people, I'm sure. But yeah, he, he's never one to uh, not speak his mind as Benoit. And I, I do always appreciate that as someone looking for stories every day. 
I'll tell you what, lads. I mean, I don't know about anything else, but I bet the mood in the French camp was brilliant last week. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean just spoken about Monfils and Pear. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it was bouncing. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to think who else was in that team. I mean, did I see uh, the cheekbones of Nicolas Mahu kicking around? Or have I made that up? Is he, is he unretired again now? No, I, I think he was Is he back on? I think he was there in a separate capacity. Um, okay. off my head. He, was yeah, he, he was playing doubles last week, but he wasn't playing with Herbert. I don't know whether that was ATP Cup. He's, I remember seeing... He was playing with Eduard Roger Vassilin. Yeah, ah, I assume that was a fine ATP. doubles player. I yeah. think that was and, ATP Cup then. Yeah, and the, the captain incidentally was Richard Ruckelshausen, um, who is Monfils' other coach, um, who I believe has Bresnik connections. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the, the France camp. They... They won, I think, two matches overall, maybe three. No, they won two doubles matches, and Nicholas Mahu beat uh, Dennis Novak, who is not having a great time of it on any level. Um, it he says lost a lot. They're chucking Mahu out in the singles, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. it says a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot about a lot of things. Clearly, something is rotten in the state of France. <laughs> I mean, uh, Adrian. I tell you what, though. I tell you what, though. Adrian Manorino won. I sure as heck didn't see that coming. I had I had several British pounds on Dennis, even Dennis Novak, taking a set off him, and Manorino cruised through in straight sets. So, you know, credit where credit's true. It's not all bad for the French. Um, anyway, we, we've spoken a bit about last week and the ATP Cup, which uh, Calvin's prediction of Serbia winning, uh, Russia winning, sorry, uh, was was roundly seen out. I mean, they well had. The, they had the best two singles players. You had the first pick of teams. <laughs> you know, it's a I'm hollow just, win. I'm just I... pointing out the facts. Just pointing out the facts. Um, but there was also a title, a couple of other titles. Uh, one for uh, Yannick Sinner, who beat Stefano Travaglia in the final of one of the tournaments. I can't remember what they're all called. Um, and Dan Evans also picked up a title. It's obviously Sinner's second tour-level title, I think, because he won one at the end of last year. Uh, and we all had really high hopes for him. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to caveat that. You both had really high hopes for him going into Denis Shapovalov. I thought he looked knackered in the semi-final last week, uh, and so it proved as he lost in five sets. It was a cracking match. Calvin, I, I know you were on the WhatsApp group just saying that watching these, t- it was just a pleasure to watch. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great match to watch. Um Strange one as well, because I thought Shapovalov sort of came out firing in the first game. He hit a brutal backhand, sort of from the centre of the court, um, mm. cross-court backhand winner, and you really think he was going after it, and then he was just garbage for like 15 minutes after that, and it's really he could have easily lost the first set six love. I think Sinner maybe had game point in every single game of mm. the set. Um and then, you know, he kind of ran out of legs. I, I think it was terrible. I don't know what was going on with the scheduling, but how on earth Sinners ended up playing today, the day after playing a final, was just bizarre. I know it was the same well, venue, but... Um... I'll, t- I'll, tell you how, I'll tell you what's happened is Rafa Nadal's nursing an injury and Sinners in the other half. That, <laughs> right. That, that, that's but what's happened. When I looked at results early, though, it didn't look like they'd strictly stuck to half and half of the draw. Um, they delayed, so they've delayed three women's matches from the bottom okay. half to tonight. Okay. Uh, okay. Muguruza, for example, um, Anne Lee, I think, off the top of my head, uh, and one other, because I actually got caught out. Oh, and Bedosa against Sam and Sober. Now, uh, I think 
presumably they're all in hard quarantine, but I mean, it seems a bit punchy to pick and choose which matches you're going to give an extra day, you know, yeah. especially like that, which is so perverse. But I, I mean, they were on last at least. They were, you know, yeah. it wasn't like they were right at 10 in the morning. I would just say the difference between the men's and the women's is best of five rolling round to one day after. I imagine Muguruza's yeah. going to have to flick back to the schedule the day after and play two She's days in a row. Yeah. You know, Shapovalov would be rightly upset if he won that match and then was expected to come back the next day and play Bernard Tomic. And that might be a fair fight if it was the next day. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, a, it was a shame they had to play so early because the, the level and the both both shot makers both going at it. Um, and it was so close all the way through it. I think that we'll, we'll see them play a lot more in the latter stages of slams uh, in years to come. Uh, exciting tennis from two exciting players. Uh, as I say, I, I kind of called it that the later that match went, uh, the more I thought Shapovalov was going to win. Um, I also thought, I mean, you know, this might be for some people the first time really watching Sinner at a really high level. George, what do you think he can learn from from that match? What do you think he's missing? You know, because because in a year's time, we expect Yannick Sinner to be well, not facing him in the first round because he'll have a, a pretty hefty seed behind him, but. That might be a quarterfinal in a year's time. Yeah, I think Sinner's ranking actually is already He's ready to be seeded. Yeah. Um, so you know that that is a stroke of kind of annoyance, I suppose, to a degree. But as you say, not going to happen again. Look, I, I I actually don't think Sinner did a lot wrong today beyond his legs kind of going. I think if you mm-hmm. watch him play in that fifth set, there was no moment he gave up. He still had break points in that final. Um, service game. The area I thought that really won the match in the end was the Shapovalov serve out wide on the ad side, the swinging lefty serve that forced him wide in that fifth set on the hole until the last game actually, he was really pushing Sinner out and getting a lot of free points with that kind of one-two punch push him out, thump the forehand down the line and that's something Shapovalov's really worked on and is a big, big weapon. Um, But I have to say, Sinner mixed everything up. He hit so solidly. I think he did pretty well with his legs, considering what he was going through. I mean, I, I don't know his exact slam history, but I would say that's probably up there with the longest match he's ever played. Um, and I, I thought he did really, really well. And Dennis, too, as well, because I, I think Sinner, we all think is... I think he's the next big thing, comfortably, in mm. this generation now. I've not seen anything to knock me off that course. I, I think this year we're looking at him being top 10 by the end of the year. Uh, mm. I don't think any of us will be surprised. And Calvin, especially not, seeing as he picked him to have the biggest climb. So come on, Musetti. Mm. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Lorenzo Musetti, just by the way, fancy <coughs> tennis players, hasn't qualified for the Australian Open. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I neglected all the questions multiple choice at the beginning. And, um, and Peanut picked Lorenzo Massetti. Someone also picked Eugenie Bouchard, who is also <laughs> not qualified. Um, just for the record, because I did adjust the form as time went on to make it fully multiple choice. If you name someone who is not in the tournament, I randomly assigned you uh, a player, which worked out particularly well for whoever picked Eugenie Bouchard, because I randomly assigned them Anna Karolina Schmedlova. And so they picked up three points there. Although she, she's not playing on Jabur, so you know maybe that'll even out. But uh, yeah, so I, I I tried to idiot proof it and I failed. So 
I apologise. I apologise to you, the player, uh, but it won't happen again for the for the French Open. Um, although maybe given it's the French, I should do something really idiosyncratic, and you know, if you don't spell it right, you don't get in. Uh, I don't know. Yes, George. I just want to say one last thing on Sinner as well. Just, I really liked his quote after the conference as well. I mean, like, bear in mind he's come to Australia, won his second tour title, but I think he was talking about the thing he was taking away most, and it was training with Nadal and kind of understanding that mentality that he needs, how he needs to approach every single day. And I, I think again, this kind of touches into what I was saying about him in the match not doing masses wrong from a mental side. I don't think there was a moment he really went away. And if he carries that on in his career, as he gets physically stronger, he, he's got the shots, the physicality is going to come. I, I think he's going to be in a, a really, really stunning player. So if he's seriously taking that away, that's that's something great for him. Calvin, I hear this a lot about Rafa Nadal and pundits say it about challenging the big four or the big three as it is at the moment. And, you know, it's about attitude and, and training and, can you kind of can you speak to exactly what that is? Not necessarily with Nadal, but like Sinner says, oh, you know, I learned a lot about attitude. Like all I really know about Nadal is that he trains a lot. Um, like, like, can can you explain what the difference is in training that Sinner's talking about? I always find this really strange in any sport where people seem to think that spending time around another great player that you definitely just one hundred percent take from them what what they do and you see it a lot in football where it's always like oh I'm obviously a Man United fan and it's there's this notion that all the Man United forwards will just learn Edison Cavani's movement um, (laughs) and 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 I said to my mate sort of mates brought this up to me the other day and I said like remember all of those defenders that were going to learn off John Terry all those young (laughs) Chelsea defenders that were going to learn off him Villa's back line are doing pretty well this season, Calvin. Um, <laughs> well, they weren't last season and he was there then. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it takes a while to learn from the greatness. But, right. but yeah, going back to he's it. Got to, he's got to meet your family first. <laughs> I think the um, I think what they see is... <laughs> I've just got that one. <laughs> 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 um, Touche. Um <laughs> I, th- I think it can, you know, it can happen. They can pick things up and that kind of thing, but it's not—it's not always a given, and it—and it's always a bit of a tangible. We don't know whether it necessarily came from that, but there can be a light bulb moment. But in terms of intensity and that kind of thing, there's never been any in- suggestion that Sinner isn't working on that basis in himself anyway. But. Mm. It's human nature. Sometimes people will pick it up. Sometimes people won't. Even if you put certain people in the the strongest environment, I fail to see that Nick Kyrgios has not been around people like Nadal in his life, and it's hardly inspired him to want to get out and and train at at that level, has it? So it's not like just seeing them means that. No, I mean, I, mean, I would say to be fair to Yannick, a two week block with someone is. I think quite long and spending time around the team, etc. It does sound like, he, you know, he was kind of saying to me actually um, in the interview we did that he was spending a lot of time kind of even in the quarantine, they were allowed to socialise on their floor, which <clears throat> I'm sure wouldn't go down that well with Ben Wonder if he was hearing <laughs> that as well. Um, but I, I suppose the, what I would kind of think he's coming across from saying is kind of the idea that, Nadal's done all this and is still working like this to be that good. Do you know what I mean? I, th- I think that mm-hmm. 
that might be the kind of and, it, and yeah it's a bit flimsy and emotional to kind of say that thing but that that might be a bit of a a motivational factor of knowing what you have to do even at that stage in someone's career to be that good perhaps i think we've all had moments in like our own careers or lives where we've maybe had a little bit of a light bulb moment like that or or maybe just a realization of like the first time you see someone working really hard like it's very difficult in kind of normal life like careers like you know that aren't sport to really understand what someone does and how they do it because just be, you know because you can't just sit next to them at their computer all day and say what are you doing why are you doing that it's so i guess it's the same thing isn't it like you see nadal on the court you maybe hit with him once or twice but you don't get as george says like the inner workings of the whole thing so yeah maybe maybe a light bulb moment but like like i think we've all said you know yannick sin has got destined for bigger things the one thing i did notice and I don't know whether it was just because he's a bit pale, but he looked a bit, he looks a little bit spindly, like in the legs in particular, like he's not necessarily got a huge amount of beef on him. Well, again, not to keep plugging my own work, because I do love doing every why, single week. Why would you but... stop the habit of a lifetime? Um, but yeah, he, he was talking about that and saying that that was the big focus, the off-season, two main things piling on the kilos and the serve. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I he's was... only 19. Like you're not physically developed for 19. I, I, it, and that was one thing, one thing that struck me earlier, actually, it reminded me a little bit of watching a Murray match back in the day today, a little bit just towards the mm. end of the legs. Um, I know normally that would have been kind of third round at Wimbledon sort of thing, but I, <laughs> I felt, I felt the head was there and it was the body that wasn't by the end mm. more than anything else, which is understandable given coming out of a quite a quarantine, playing a final and then being expected to turn around and beat the 11th seed the next day. But um, I think that's an encouraging comparison to be thinking about it when you're watching someone at that stage in their career because Murray's done okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's won a few things. Um, talking of stages of careers and title wins, uh, Dan Evans is at a very different stage of his career and he picked up his first ATP title win in the... Oh, uh, what was it called? The Grand Murray Open Road River Open or something. One of the tournaments. <laughs> I think you've combined about six of the tournaments. Yeah, there. well, I mean, there was... I mean, honestly, was he Murray fair. River or Great Ocean Road? Oh, uh, now you've said it like that, I don't know. Anyway, the point is, he won the final. Um, and as you mentioned in your notes, George, and you know, we were both bleary-eyed on a press conference at seven o'clock on Sunday morning. I was um, in bed. Well, so was I, George. <laughs> I had the common decency to sit up and hide my pillow, unlike some other esteemed <laughs> journalists uh, who were lying back and it was like a webcam show. But anyway... That wasn't um, me, just for the record. I had my <laughs> camera off. <laughs> um, as you say, Dan, he, he didn't seem that bothered about it. I mean, I guess his head was maybe on other things. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it... It should be quite a momentous moment, but he was kind of like, oh, well, Vavrinka pulled out in the court titles. He <laughs> yeah, probably he would have... slagged off Shardy. He was like, <laughs> well, I played Jeremy Shardy in the semi-final, so it's not really a semi-final, is it? <laughs> yeah. um, he didn't say exactly that, to be fair, but that was definitely the subtext. And, and you know, he kind of said, this doesn't matter to me as much as doing well in the slams. That's the thing he felt he let himself down on last year a little bit. Uh, it was interesting mm. that I, I thought that he said like winning a title was the target he had for the year he was banned. Um, 
and you know yeah. that, that kind of cyclical round points come back uh, you know it's a bit of a boring narrative now being like oh look he's come back from this adversity and finally got his head straight but this is another great step for him uh, you know I, I know he'll play it down a bit he did sort of say actually he thinks when he leaves Australia he'll have the time to look back on it because um, mm. of course by the time we're done recording this he could have lost to Cam Norrie and then I'm sure he'll be really pleased about that but um, <laughs> Yeah, it's still a great win. And, you know, on the other side of the net, you've got someone I'm expecting again to win a lot of titles who's now lost his seventh final. And, you know, was it two and three, something like that in the end? Yeah, I mean, bastard. Uh, I mean, I get... wondered, I, when I, because I watched the, the game on replay, I didn't watch it live because it was five in the morning. Um, <laughs> but I wondered whether, if you're Felix Agrelia's team and you've got a Grand Slam coming up, and you've got a final of a tournament you don't really care about. I wonder whether you, you're in third gear rather than fifth. And like when you lose the first set, especially, you then go, yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend three hours out here sweating. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, when we've looked at what happened to Sinner today, you know, we're talking about the fine margins of winning. If Sinner had gone into that match how and just decided, man, I can't be bothered, saved himself, would he have won that today? Probably. I would say, like we're talking about a 1% difference in the end that probably cost him that physically. Um, mm. And Felix, if I'm him looking at his draw, I think it's Dennis round three, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I'm looking at that draw and I'm thinking, I, I can go courts here. Yeah. And, and so maybe that was a factor. Um, mm. But still, for Dan, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, first title at 30. He's had to wait a long time for it, so well yeah. done him. Yeah, Australia seems to be somewhere he plays well. It's a, it's a habit that's, that's coming, because he got to that final in Sydney. Did Sydney? Yeah, I think so. And he lost to Gilles Muller or Radu Albot, one of the two. I can't remember which one. He's definitely lost finals to both those men. Um, Calvin, you obviously know Dan, Dan quite well. I mean, do you think that that underwhelmed reaction to winning a title is is probably just him with other things on his mind? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Um, I think, and it'd also be one of those, I think, it's a strange one, because the, the slam starts today, today for him, um, and I think it'd be more one of those that he reflects on maybe in a couple of weeks uh, and can take a, a bit more from it. He also, he's, he's, he's a realist, he's, he's done, so he knows that it, it was a strange one, in that, yeah. you know, as much as we joke about it, it, you would expect to, in order to win an ATP to a title, you probably expect to I mean, Felix is a good player to beat in the final, but the other players he beat, he, he would have been strong favourite against any of those. Um, mm. And he would definitely expect to win them. And I don't think he'd ever expect to win a win a title where he's heavy favourite against everyone he plays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcus Giron, he beat. Born at Chorich, to be fair, I suppose. Yeah, sorry. Chorich was a really good win. I watched that match. I forgot about that match. Yeah. Um, fair play. He's playing without a coach at the moment. He had a couple of weeks with Chris Johnson. Did we discuss this last week? I, I'm sort of hoping that we didn't. No, of course we didn't. Um, and he had two weeks of trial period with Chris Johnston, who um, is based out in Australia, who briefly worked at the LTA, I think, in the 90s. Uh, and, you know, kind of a bit of a marriage of convenience, I think, for Dan, because he was already in Australia and Dan knew him and I think got on quite well with him from what, what you've been saying, Calvin. So... Um, but he's now running without a coach. And I, I think you mentioned that you actually think he's someone who, who could just run without a coach. Yeah, in, in purely from a tennis point of view, um, 
I'm I'm not sure he actually needs a coach on the base of each individual is different. And with Dan, he's 30 now. All his shots are really technically very sound. None of those will need changing ever, probably. Can't see any of them going wrong. Tactically, he's exceptional on the court. He's a great thinker. Um, so he's a problem solver on the court, that type of thing. So you wonder, he's also very strong-minded in how he wants his, and I know from, from sort of having watched Dan practice a fair bit, he, he knows specifically how he wants his practice to run. He had a very, very sort of firm idea that this is how I practice. Um, so you kind of wonder on what basis, what is a coach going to bring to the party, really, if it's not a really big name? <clears throat> and I would think they'll want a really big name would want, and, and I say a really big name meaning a former player. Yeah. But they'll want a huge amount of money to come. Um, mm. And so, but there's another side of it as well where I can see why he probably will get a coach in the, He's on the you're on the road a lot by yourself, sort of just somebody to talk through your matches with. He's always yeah. appreciated. Someone to arrange your practice, arrange your practice partners, go and do those types of things. That that mm-hmm. all falls in the remit of a coach. Yeah, he's, he's he kind of alluded to that as well. He said, <laughs> I mentioned that he had said to me in November he didn't want to play the week before the Aussie, and then of course you know things changed. Yeah. But he said, well, look, one benefit was there's a lot less to organise. Like y- your matches are kind of organised for you, so that. That makes life a bit easier. And he also said that he had a mate um, who from Sydney, I think, who was down in Melbourne for the the tournament. He's been to ten straight Grand Slams, yeah. and he was in his box and having breakfast with Dan. And that's probably as much coaching as he maybe needs is someone to have breakfast with. But it was quite funny. He signed off his press conference. He, you know, someone said, "Well, who is this bloke? Like, and and why why is he there?" And Dan sort of said, "Well, yeah, he's been to ten Grand Slams now. I think he said he's." He's just a big sports fan. It it can't be because he enjoys watching me play tennis, and, <laughs> and then just sort of stood up and left. Um, so yeah, he you know he, he's he's quite. You know, I don't know Dan nearly as well as either of you, but like in my experience of him, he's quite doer, as the Scots say. Like you know, very deadpan. It, it, I think if you didn't know him very well, you'd think he was maybe aloof or rude. But I don't think it's that at all. I think he's just like a realist and kind of just quite flat. I don't know, George, you're also from the Midlands, you maybe experience this more. <laughs> no, I, I think Dan just kind of says it as is, doesn't he? He's quite quite straight with us sometimes. He's not been that pleased when he's been quite straight with us and we've just taken it as he's been straight with us and reported it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in trouble with that. <laughs> when, he's made, when he's made the mistake of, of getting annoyed <laughs> of, of reporting of what he said. Yeah. Well, you know what, that's, that's a neat little segue for us, George, because uh, as kind of mentioned earlier, you've got in um, some hot water today. Well, no, I'm not going to call it hot water because you're not necessarily in the wrong forms. Um, by reporting what someone had said, uh, Nick Kyrgios gave his press conference after beating uh, Federico Ferreira Silva, the Portuguese player in straight sets, did a decent job of it, um, had a, a couple of shouty moments at his box in the first set. Uh, and and then promptly got on with his tennis, started hitting it. So he only hit one ace in the first set, and he said he was as nervous uh, for a match walking out as he has been in a long time. So that, I thought that was quite telling. Um, but yeah, he, he did his job, and, and then naturally, after about six questions in the press conference, someone brought up Novak Djokovic. And <laughs> even even Nick said what everyone was thinking. He said, oh, here we go. And we were all like, yeah, here we go. Uh, George, talk us through what happened. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an excellent press conference, one of the best ones I've been to for a long time. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I it was nice seeing Nick today because me and him have had a few little barnies in the press room before and he, he said, uh, all right, Georgie boy, uh, <laughs> as if we were going. I gave him a nice one today to kind of ease yeah. us back into our relationship. But um, <laughs> he, you know, he, he is an interesting character. Um, I, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about him and how he reflects on stuff. I, I do think it, it was, re- he spoke very refreshingly today on kind of the year off and how he, his perspective has changed and stuff. And it, even the Novak answer, I thought was quite well thought out. Um, can you kind of praise Can you kind of give us a gist? Yeah. So I, you know, he was kind of asked, what do you think about Novak saying he has no respect for me off the court? but he does have respect to what he kind of brings to him on the court. And he was like, well, I don't really understand that because I would almost expect him to have no respect for me on the court because I have been a, an ass on the court, essentially. Not quite his words, but I'll put those in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, off the court, actually, whatever you think of me, I do all this stuff, you know, charity and whatever. And, and, and to be fair to Nick, during this pandemic, he's probably been... Uh, maybe a stretch to say the best behaved tennis player, but it, he's been one of the it's only a ones. Bar. <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> but he has, you know, he's been one of the few to be like, hey, that that's wrong what you've done there. And we've been, you know, we've called out on this podcast behavior from, yeah, and Djokovic falls into that bracket, doesn't he, really? He's, yeah. he's made a few boo-boos and um, I'm not going to sit here and slag him off about it, but he has made mistakes. Zverev's another one who's made mistakes. And certain people, you know, like Boris Becker and Karen Hatchinov spring to mind, they criticise Kyrgios for criticising them, when in reality, actually, Kyrgios has been in the moral right in this instance. I'm not defending him to the hilt here, but, um, you know, I, 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 do, I do kind of feel like he has done himself quite well recently. Um, but it was quite yeah. interesting. And, and, you know, and he, at the end, kind of gave us the line we all wanted, wasn't it? Where he's like, this guy's got nothing to say to me. He went dancing with his top off in a nightclub during a global pandemic. And yeah, you know, he's not wrong, is he? Yeah. He kind of, he, he did, he, he, he scrambled for the moral high ground, uh, quietly sat on top of it. And then just at the end, threw some dumb down <laughs> to kind of, uh, almost take himself down. I, I thought I, I wasn't in the press conference. I listened back to the audio afterwards and I, I had a real, like, Damascene conversion on Kyrgios. Like, having watched the match where he had been quite leery for the first six games when he was playing badly and then got into his groove and calmed down, you know. And, like, in the second and third set, you know, I kind of really keyed in to what he was saying and doing. And it, it was on... Um, I was watching the stream with no commentary, so you, you, just, you just get it as it is. And... Uh, you know, he was really polite to the ball boys. And at one point he ran out of towels and he said, oh, mate, are you using that towel? Could, would it be OK if I had that towel from, you know, from Federico? And and it was just like, oh, you don't have to be a dickhead every day of your life. You know, it, to, to quote a famous Australian slave. <clears throat> and I was really impressed. And then when he came into press and when he did his on-court interview, he, he was really gracious and he said how good he thought Federico was and how they played in juniors and how grateful he was to have been in Canberra for for the pandemic when they, they didn't have it too bad. So, yeah, I just I just kind of thought, ah, maybe this year has, has let you grow up a bit. 
Yeah, I think, you know, you, you wrote quite a nice piece on it, actually, about kind of why... <laughs> Damned by faint praise. A very nice piece on it. Thank very you. nice piece on it. I put two of your pieces in the order of play this week. I thought you'd be so pleased. Well, I am. I'm touched. <laughs> Keep talking. Um, but, you, you know, you nicely draw, drew on some of the things that make him quite a compelling character. But I, I just want to slightly move away from that side of things and focus on the kind of the war of words with Joffrey. I think the reason why this gets so much interest, this sort of thing, is because it tennis is devoid of it you know it it is missing this needle and spike between players i mean if you and i ask each other right now what's the best rivalry in tennis right now what are you telling me well you can't say federer and nadal because federer hasn't played for a year i mean i guess it's nadal Djokovic, isn't it but uh, like there's not much needle between them and it's a great match but if you think about like the rivalries in football, say Mourinho and Guardiola back in the day, it's the needle that comes with it that makes it exciting. And I think the best rivalry in tennis is a match we've not had for four years now. You know, Kyrgios and Nadal was brilliant at Wimbledon when they finally played each other after all those comments. But Djokovic and Kyrgios has reached such a level of all this build-up and not played since 2017. I I know Kyrgios kind of loves it because he's beaten him twice and... He played Djokovic at his lowest air, but he's always like, I've played Djokovic and he was rubbish and Murray's better than him. You know, yeah, there's he, so he much needle. That, there's so much needle and Novak and, and Kyrgios has said, next time I play it, I'm going to do his boob throwing celebration. Novak, <laughs> I bet, cannot wait to get his teeth into this guy and teach him an absolute lesson on court. And I, I was just thinking earlier, just as a general force experiment, you know, is it a bit of a shame in tennis that we can't guarantee these rivalries to be once a season? Do you know what I mean? Is, is there Are we missing some sort of league table thing where, you know, it's guaranteed Liverpool have to play City? I know that's harder with individual sport, but it, it does just feel such a shame that you have this great build-up. And it, it's possible we're never going to see this because we need a bloody draw and we can't guarantee Kyrgios to go deep. So unless it's first, second round, we're not going to see it, are we? The problem with this, George, with with both your this is the greatest argument, this is the greatest rivalry in tennis, and why don't they play, is because Nick Kyrgios is never in the later stages <laughs> of tournaments. But that, but that, but that's the point. But that's my point, isn't it? Because if you think about it in the Premier League, I'm not saying Man United's greatest rivals are Sheffield United, but they have to play each other once a season, top and bottom. You know, uh, it's kind of... Yeah, but, yeah, yes, they do. But Man United don't have to play Barnsley for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> because they're not in the same division. I'll tell you what, just... the Tykes ty- fans are going to be absolutely... fuming, <laughs> fuming at that but, claim. You know, if Kyrgios wants to make it a rivalry, if he wants to lay his claim, win some matches. Like, the guy doesn't play enough and he doesn't win enough. No matter what else we think about him, he, he, he just doesn't, and it's stuff like this. Yeah, he's, he's box office at times. Everyone's talking about him today, but he beat a qualifier. Mm. Yeah, you're, and you're, you're right. You're right. And what I really respect about Kyrgios, or this, this incarnation of Kyrgios, and look, he might go out against Hugo Umbert, lose the first set, smash four rackets, punch an umpire, and, you know, I have to change my opinion <laughs> again. But, um, That'll still be entertaining, I, though. Yeah. What I felt was different about this version of Kyrgios is he kind of said, 
look, this, this is who I am. This is how I play. I, I don't want to, you know, I use my platform to do good when I can. And, and he has started doing that. He set up this foundation, the NK Foundation, to, to bring sports to underprivileged kids. He's been delivering food during the pandemic to people who can't get it. He's done an Uber Eats commercial with Sasha Baron Cohen. They got an awful lot of coverage in the Australian Open today for absolutely no reason, um, other than presumably they thought he would talk about it, which he did. Um, and, you know, he kind of accepts that he, he doesn't sit there and say, I'm the best in the world. Like, much as George wants him to have the best rivalry in tennis with Djokovic, he, he doesn't take that. Yes, he hits a tweener drop shot and stands there going, are you not entertained? And, and you know, because he's a showman and he, he gets it and people love that. But he doesn't pretend to be the world number three in waiting. I, I, all I'm going to say on this is that the amount of times I see Djokovic fans crawl into my mention, assuring me the draws are rigged. I want to see someone <laughs> rig a bloody draw that puts Novak against Kyrgios. I want to see this match. It's the only match I'm interested in in this entire year. And that's not quite true. I'm being purposefully brash there. But there, I... there is no needle in any other match at the minute, is there? I'm not, I'm not losing oh, my there's... head. Like... No, there, there is. Isn't it? Zverev does not get on with um, pass, isn't it? But yeah. even that, even that's tamed a little since like the Labour Cup. The Labour Cup's great as a weekend, but it's awful yeah. for the tour. It's awful because yeah. like, they're all the buddying up is terrible. Yeah. This is not I, I, what it's meant to be. Where's the Sharapovas who hate everyone? You know, well, there was you a need period these where, villains. There was a period where um, Medvedev at that U.S. Open a couple of years ago, where he was yeah. really positioning himself to be the bad guy. Yeah, and then it, but, then he kind of turned at the end, didn't he? It was a face turn at the end. And again, but again, I'd say that was like a, a crowd bad guy, wasn't it? And you could sort of say Novak has been that that villain. He's desperately fought against it as long as he's wanted to. Um, but even then, he's not really been much of a a war of words with a rival, has he? Or at least for a while. Um, mm. I mean, I yeah, just on your on your ne- draws and needle, George. I have no interest in any match that Novak Djokovic is playing until the quarterfinals. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, and this is one of the things... He's got TFO in the second round. He's then probably either going to play Riley Opelka or Taylor Fritz, who in my mind are basically the same player. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, like, he might play Stan if Stan can get through another couple of matches. But he's more likely to play Ryanich, and that's going to be just Riley Opelka, but a different nationality. Uh, so, you know, I'm not interested in any of this match. He, he might even not play Zverev in the quarters. I'm not interested in that. And th- th- this is this is the whole thing. Like, one of the reasons people lost their heads today was because I tweeted this Kyrgios tweet at the moment Djokovic finished, you know, chopping Chardy. I don't, I think Jeremy Chardy, the bloke Dan Evans said, wasn't good enough to play him in an ATP. He's, he's, taken, he's taken 33 sets in a row off this guy or something. There is nothing yeah. I can say about that matchup that makes it interesting. There's no. nothing. It's I not didn't, interesting. I didn't watch one single point of it, and I still know what happened, and I know everything I need to know about it. Yeah. it and love or, a... hate, love or hate, hate Kyrgios, what he does is interesting because... It isn't happening anywhere else in tennis. And you can wish him away at your peril because people you speak to who do not follow this sport, and I'm a, I'm a tennis purist. I love tennis. I think it's great. But people who don't love tennis, they love Kyrgios and no one else. They don't give a crap about anyone else. They'll say they like Federer, who, by the way, is the dullest man in the planet, really. He couldn't be le- he couldn't have less of an edge. You are not making friends today. He George. couldn't have less of an edge to him. 
him and Rafa cozying up, pretending to be best mates. That is pathetic. No one wants to see that. I want some needle. I want George some spike. Re- really alienated himself to the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the tennis man. I've had enough. Here. I'm firing back after hundreds torrents of abuse today. Uh, yeah, and quite fine. Quite You're right. Tennis needs personality. I guarantee you, if you take your average football fan, you know, the bloke who watches Wimbledon for two weeks might watch the Australian Open final hungover on a Sunday and, you know, otherwise takes a vague interest in tennis when it's interesting to name five male tennis players. Guarantee you, Nick Kyrgios will be the third one they name, if not the fourth. Like, it's. I was going to say, maybe the fourth, to be fair. Well, probably, but you just don't know. <laughs> they, they know. It's not four, it's Murray, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. <laughs> yeah, <fifth. laughs> like, they, they know them. All right. Give, I tell you what, you, you give Hoi Polloi an awful lot of credit. Uh, awful lot of credit. But either way, he's an actual name. Much as he's effectively the world number 90, you know, he is someone who people have heard of. And he, he pushes the needle, as I, as I say a lot about American TV ratings. Um, we should move on just just briefly and finally uh, because I did a well, published an interview um, with Patrick Muratoglu, which was kind of one of those interviews you go into because George had kind of pre-warned me about Patrick and he's like, oh, he's got a lot to say. And I knew that he had a lot to say, but sometimes as a journalist, like when you've got someone who you know will say a lot, it can be hard to interview them because this, you know, you're like a kid in a sweet shop. You're like, oh, I want it all. Um, so I kind of went in with an open mind and I thought, well, I'll just let him steer it, um, which is probably a mistake. But, you know, I wasn't there to hold him to account. And, and we ended up talking a lot about coaching and like working with different players. And, you know, he, he he's someone who writes his own press releases to a certain extent. And, you know, you can believe as much about Patrick Murotoglu as you want to believe. But his his kind of narrative is that he started in the 90s thinking that the way tennis was coached was wrong and that he wanted to adapt more to players' styles. And it's kind of worked, and he's still doing it, and he's got a few decent players now, one of whom is Mrs. Serena Williams, who's quite handy. Um, so, And, you know, he's, he's done nine years with her now, so he must be doing something right. And, and basically his hook, or the thing that I hooked onto, was that he... He really changes as a person, you know, around each player. And and when you think about if you take his three current most high-profile players, you know, Serena Williams, Stefanos Tsitsipas and Coco Goff, I cannot imagine that Coco Goff, in terms of a person, is anything like Serena Williams, given that she, was fought, she wasn't born when Serena Williams won her first Grand Slam. So, I mean, Calvin, I imagine you have first-hand experience of this. Do you think you're the same coach with every player you work with? No, you can't be. Um, tennis is a simple sport played by complex people um, <laughs> as is most sports uh, to be fair um, no you have to change um, there are a lot of coaches who insist that they don't this is my way this is how we'll do it <clears throat> but I think that always meets a dead end when that happens you have to adapt and the best coaches usually do um, I'm not sure if Patrick Moritoglu comes into my classification as one of the best coaches, but um, uh, he's one of the best yeah. publicists. Well, he's he's the best publicist <laughs> um, in the tennis coach community. <laughs> no, he's, I'd agree with him. Closely followed him by that. Calvin Better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd, um, 
I'd, I'd agree with him on that. You have to, um, you have to adapt, no doubt. And he, look, he's a thinker. He has some interesting ideas, and he challenges the norms um, of how what the sport of tennis is. Um, but it, my my position maintains that his biggest asset as a tennis coach is his bank account. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's it's one of those things where you. You know, as someone like me, I tend to just ask the questions and, you know, unless it's something I feel needs calling out or, you know, if you want to tell me how you do your job, fine. I, like, I'm not necessarily going to going to challenge you on that because to a certain extent, you're the expert. And that's why I'm interviewing you. Um, it's it's but, quite what I will say. Sorry, James. What I will no, say about him as a coach is it's quite strange how he, he doesn't actually seem to be any of the players actual only coach. Yeah. Um, which I've always found quite strange. Coco Doff, Coco Goff is it's a dad, isn't it? Who's the coach? City yeah. um, Pass again, his dad. Uh, Serena never really has had a coach. She's had, she used to have hitting partners, that type of thing. Um, so, and and from things I hear, things I see, I don't think anyone ever sees a whole lot of him getting on the court, him and the player. Let's crack on. Let's do some work. I I actually asked her about this when I. Because I went to his academy a while ago and kind of said that's how I kind of view him to a degree because he does seem to just like pop yeah. up in boxes and and he was quite honest about it actually I have to say like um, well I assume he was being honest but he kind of it, it seemed like an honest answer but like, he, he kind of said yeah I mean I'm not really any of their coaches I kind of just turn up for that final five percent I'm looking to give them like saying the right mo- words in the right moment and stuff which you know there's I guess quite an interesting way of doing it and he kind of feels his presence in boxes can help that he's, he's established that relationship but I, I guess in terms of the academy and Sissipas and Goff for example they're part of what I think he calls like the Moritaglu five or something with the five best players okay. in the academy that he directly oversees and he'll sort of act as a consultant above it but assign a coach from the cad- academy to each one to kind Who of are the them. other two? Is it Mutat? Uh, so it's, did I say Papyrin then? Yeah, no, Papyrin's one of his, but is he, is he in the five? He's in the five, yeah. It's in my piece a while ago. I'll dig it out after the show. Um, well, there's only one author named, George. I mean, his academies are excellent academies, to be fair. Uh, he upped the game on that in that he didn't have. What tends to be the case with academies around Europe is that they have a couple, a few good players and then a load of not-so-good players who pay for the good players. Um, so when people say, it's one of the biggest myths in tennis, when they say, for example, somebody's gone out to X academy to train, so that means they must be brilliant, that's absolutely not the case at all. But mm. what um, Muritoglu changed the game a little bit on that in that pretty much everyone at his academies can play and also the coaches that he employs are excellent coaches so bear in mind this was 2019 the five were Sissipas, Goff Popiron, Rudolf Molliker who's a good German player probably about 20 years old probably about 130 in the world-ish now Mm. Um, and I can't believe I forgot the other one James the GOAT Goat himself. Oh, um, I can't remember the name either. <laughs> Jason Singh, isn't it? Or... Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Thailand. Okay, hey, interesting. Yeah. Um, One junior Wimbledon, beating yeah. Jack Draper. Beat Jack Draper. But, yeah. but he had he was having problems when I was there in terms of transitioning to the men's game. 
serve wasn't quite good uh, mm. good enough but okay interesting um well i think we'll have to leave it there because we, we've we've overrun our time slot slightly um, we, we have missed one quite big topic we were going to do which was uh we, we definitely don't have to time to do the full uh sweeps but it probably is worth briefly mentioning that murray is back and was not very happy this weekend yeah, Andy Murray coming off the long run in an interview with the uh, Sunday Telegraph and the Sunday Times. Um, yeah. I mean, ba- ba- the long and the short of it is he blamed the NTC for... Well, he said, I caught COVID at the National Tennis Centre and it wasn't my fault. That, 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 that's basically what he said in, in fairly candid terms. Um, and he, was, he said he was gutted not to have gone to Australia, but he was really more angry about endangering his family. Um, for various reasons and I think I kind of have some sympathy with him I mean you know I think we spoke about it and I don't think it was any secret in the tennis community that there were times at the NTC when things weren't as you know razor sharp as they should have been Uh, I think Dan said that when one of the doctors got COVID who was particularly good at enforcing the, uh, the regulations when she went off things dropped you know, we've all been to places where, where we're in COVID times, where we're aware of protocol not being followed, and it doesn't take much for standards to slip because there's this kind of commun- communality with with behavioural um, issues. So, yeah, I, I entirely sympathise with him. I think it's very brave of him to, well, brave may be the wrong word. I think it's punchy to come out and and say I caught COVID here and the other players are taking the piss because that, that's basically what he was saying. Uh, George, what was your kind of emotional reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, so to be honest, we'd had word that Murray wanted to do a talk. So, I mean, when you said it was with the Telegraph and the Times, it was so two, the way our group things have been working with him is that just two people are nominated to do the interview and then it's kind of everyone's, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. random who's rotating. Um, so, you know, Stu and Briggsy kind of set it up. Um, but the word was he was, you know, a day after he'd got it and knew he was missing the Australian Open, etc. He was pretty livid about it. Um, and that, I thought, it might not be the case that he came out that strong in the end because it had been a bit of time passed. Yeah. You know, it was almost a month later. Um, when he actually came out and spoke like this. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised in many ways to see how hard he went. I mean, knowing the full context, I'm I'm not that surprised. Um, <laughs> but look, I, the, the thing I did want to say that's mildly interesting, I think, you know, he was kind of saying uh, from the tennis side of things, he, he'd had the best two or three months of since this hit thing, and that was frustrating. But I, I was wondering whether you thought Actually, him going to a challenger, if he's had that good amount of time, being the highest ranking there, should, in theory, get a full week of tennis out of him. Is that not more beneficial to him than going to Melbourne, potentially drawing Djokovic first round? At this stage, do we not need to see him prove to himself he can get through a weekload of matches with no problems anyway? Do you see it like that, Calvin? Um, I'm interested to watch it, for sure. Uh, I think it'll give us a pretty good idea of where he's at. Um, If if he's struggling, then that's not going to be ideal. But if he, say, gets through it and he gives everybody a pretty solid beating, which I imagine he probably will, then we can go, right, you know, he, he looks pretty good now. 
but it's certainly not one of those what you think is just sort of a, something for him to do because he can't play in Australia. I think it does give us, yeah, it's like you say, he could have a stinking draw in Oz and we still wouldn't really know where he's at. But this, Ma- this should tell us. Ma- Marta, his first player, is a decent tour level player I've seen kicking around before. I mean, he's not not amazing, but he's yeah, he's, but... he's not terrible. He's not someone Murray should be losing no, listen, to. But, listen, you know, if... they're not bums is what I'm saying. You know, no, it's not listen, like one number 300. They're, they're very challenges. They're, they're definitely no mugs in challenges. They can all absolutely play. But at the end of the day, he's Andy Murray. Um, he's, he, the guy has three slams. So, um, yeah. I've, for, if, I've foreseen an amusing situation because I'm just looking at the draw. Uh, yeah, I don't recognise many names on there, I'll be honest. But um, in the bottom half, and he would have to get to the final, but it's not entirely unlikely, is Martin Kleesan, uh, who people may remember as the man Murray sat on his bench and said, everyone on tour hates you, um, which is, is like just standing behind. No, he wasn't even sat on his bench. He was standing behind the baseline waiting for Cleezan to sort himself out and serve. And Murray just shuntering about how everyone hates playing this guy on tour. Um, I would relish uh, a week-long, tired, pissed-off, COVID, long COVID Murray playing Martin Cleezan in a challenger final. Yeah, the, the long COVID thing's interesting. You mentioned there as well. I mean, like you never quite know what, how bad that is going to affect you. I mean, I'm Dim- not Dimitrov, f- Dimitrov said it took him months. Yeah, I, I, I'm not an athlete by any stretch, but I'm pretty fit, and I was going for runs, and I was unable to breathe for about an hour afterwards. Like it, I, for months afterwards, it really, really buggered me. And I know I had it because I had proper antibody tests that said I'd had it. Um, so you know, I'm not. I'm not saying Murray will have it that bad, but. You never quite know, and when you're pushing yourself, as we've spoken before, the difference between match play and practice—that extra ten percent or whatever it is—you know—could could be an extra factor yeah. that. Yeah, we await with interest. I mean, goodness knows how we're going to watch that. I mean, I assume it'll be sort of dodgily streamed somewhere. They, they normally tweet them out, don't they? The challenges. No, ATP. Be, it'd be on ATP, ATP website. Yeah. yeah, ATP oh, okay. website. I've streamed. Uh, very good. Okay, Maximilian Martyr. Fourth, uh, fourth round of the French before Martyr has had as a little run. I know they're not playing on clay, but you know, just he's not a complete, not a complete bum. He's world number two hundred and three, though. Like, you know, <laughs> it it would be bad if Murray didn't win. Put it that way. It, it would be. It would be an extremely bad match. Well, anyway, um, best of luck to Andy Murray. Um, if he's listening, I'm sure he is. I mean, who isn't? Um, if you're listening back on the podcast. Uh, however you're doing it please do um, leave us a review and a nice rating uh, if you're playing the fantasy tennis game do follow us at love tennis pod on twitter we'll tweet some regular updates um, and you can see how your team's getting on i'll also tweet the spreadsheet with all of the scores all of the teams if you've forgotten who you picked you can see who i've picked who calvin's picked and who george's picked and who many others lizzie Velshaw, george is that your sister or your mother sister okay very good and why is your mother not playing she's our biggest fan yeah, she didn't sign up in the end. Pretty wow. poor form. Wow, snubbed by Mrs. Bell. As far as I know, I actually know a few people who've signed up under fake names, so you'll notice there's a John Lennon in there and a Grant McCann. John I Lennon picked, John It's Lennon neither picked, of those actual people. <laughs> John Lennon picked himself to, to, to qualify for the Australian Open in the women's draw. I was fascinated by that. 
Uh, but <laughs> on, the, on that bombshell of John Lennon trying to win the fantasy tennis, uh, we'll leave it. We'll be back next week, uh, 9 p.m., live on Locker Room. And I, on imagine Sky. if he won it, James. <laughs> imagine. Oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. See you next week. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.